Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hello and welcome to Nothing Concrete, the Barbican podcast. I'm Ben Eshmaid and on this week's Archive Edition, we return to the cinema and find ourselves trapped in the claustrophobic Oscar-winning drama, Room. With writing the book and then with making the film, we always wanted to get that sort of tonal balance between the light and the dark, you know? Mm. So we never wanted it to be too creepy and we never wanted it to be too sweet either. Yeah, and I think it's a love poem to a child. I felt that when I read it, I... My own little boy was nearly four, and so I could see him, so much of him in Jack. This film tells the incredible story of Ma, played by Brie Larson, who with her five-year-old son, Jack, played by Jacob Tremblay, are trapped and held against their will in what they refer to as room. Once they do gain their freedom, we experience with awe the world through the eyes of Jack for the very first time. I was a little girl named Joy. Yeah. And I lived in a house with my mom and my dad. You would call them grandma and grandpa. What house? A house. It was in the world. And there was a backyard, and we had a hammock. We would swing in the hammock, and we would eat ice cream. A TV house? No, Jack, a real house, not TV. Are you even listening to me? This film is based on the book by Emma Donoghue, who also wrote the screenplay. Lenny Abrahamson directed, whose previous films include What Richard Did, and before this, the wonderful yet bizarre Frank. When I was a little older, when I was 17... I was walking home from school. Where was I? You were still up in heaven. But there was a guy. He pretended that his dog was sick. What guy? Old Nick. We call him Old Nick. I don't know what his real name is. But he pretended his dog was sick. What's the dog's name? Jack, there wasn't a dog. He was trying to trick me. Okay? There wasn't a dog. Old Nick stole me. I want a different story. No, this is the story that you get. I spoke to the pair about the film in a posh hotel in central London. Despite the subject matter, it felt like a project they were very proud to be part of. And I started by talking to Emma. Where did this story come from? I, 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 believe, I believe you weren't expecting it when it arrived. Well, in a sense, it was from hearing about the Fritzl case in Austria, but really it was from having two small children. Um, I had found motherhood a real shock to my system, even though I completely chose to become a mother. And I was parenting under ideal circumstances with a very committed co-parent in the shape of my partner. And still I found it at times very confining and frustrating. And I was startled by what it brought out in me, you know, sometimes the saint and sometimes the witch. Um, (laughs) So when I heard about the Fritzl case, I was fascinated by the notion of how you could possibly 
parent and parent well in a locked room. And then I thought, ooh, a child brought up that way would have such an interesting angle on the situation and on our whole world. So, um, yeah, I, I, I thought um, I'll write a book from the point of view of a child in a situation like that, but it'll have none of the details in common with the Fritzl case. And really, it could have been any of those cases that inspired it. It's just the Fritzl case came first. If you were explaining the film to someone else and you're saying that there's the mother and the child and they're trapped in this room and it's what happens within that, it's a very unfair description of the film and, and of, of the originally of the book. I mean, it's it goes far beyond that. I often say it's the story of a childhood and a, a pretty happy childhood and of a boy who gradually realises that the world is other than he thought. But like many children, they grow up with rather magical views of things and then mm. their parents have to gradually admit item by item that the world is way more complicated and bigger and scarier. I mean, you know, I've had to be explaining fundamentalism and terrorism to my children these last few weeks. So... I think what has kept Room the Book and Room the Film so moving for readers and for audiences is that actually there's something very universal about these mm. patterns. We may not be all locked up giving birth to our kidnapper's child, but we've all had these situations where you're desperately trying to protect your child and yet tell them what they need to know. You're trying to keep them safe, but give them freedom. You're trying to find that balance. Even as a society, you have to try and find a balance between safety and freedom. And all the more so when you're a parent desperately trying to... to Keep your child's childhood happy. The word room, it's interesting. Ever since I watched the film, I, I don't even see it in the same way anymore. It's, it's such a loaded word due to what happens in the film. It's true. Um, for me, it's got a great echo of womb, but also I like the fact that it means enough space. You know, there's a moment in the film where she says, to him, we can't have a dog, we don't have enough room. And then she realises, no, he's going to hear room as meaning the room. So she says space. Um, but it's a lovely word to me because it suggests not only a limited space, but actually infinite space, because for a child with a really active imagination, there's enough room in mm. any one room. Um, you know, that documentary a few years ago called Babies, what you saw was one baby growing up in an apartment in Japan, one baby growing up in a mud hut in Nigeria. And really, they were all getting what they needed. Mm. You know, the decor changed, the details changed, but they were all getting care, sensory exploration and a parent giving them enough, you know, eye contact and enough answers. Yeah, it's funny. It, with, with writing the book and then with making the film, we always wanted to get that sort of tonal balance between the light and the dark, you know. Mm. So we never wanted it to be too creepy and we never wanted it to be too sweet either. Something that, again, may be different in the book compared to the film, but the um, with the film, I didn't realise how much I'd sort of bought into the film until they get out. And it, it was like a big sledgehammer. I think... Uh, Readers of the book and then viewers of the film are often kind of shocked to find themselves nostalgic for their captivity. <laughs> yes, it's true. That's why I think it, it's great that Lenny stuck with the structure of the book. He didn't intercut between past and present. He didn't introduce flashbacks or any sort of distractions. He mm. coops you up. He puts you through it for at least 45 minutes. And yes, people often end up thinking, but I liked it in that horrible little room, you know. But that's good because that involves you in, in Jack's situation and gives you those mixed feelings. Abracadabra. Now the candles. We don't have any candles. Mm. No. We set a birthday cake for real. That means candles on fire. Jack. It's okay without the candles. It's still a birthday cake. You should ask for candles for a Sunday treat, not dumb jeans. I'm sorry. You know, I have to ask for stuff that we really need. 
stuff that he can get easily. You, this is obviously a very personal story to you because I think that you wrote a, a treatment of it as a, as a screenplay. Yes, in fact, I just went ahead and wrote an entire draft of the screenplay um, after the novel was written and sold but not yet published because I had a feeling that there might be some opposition, you know, that filmmakers might say, oh, we don't want you to, develop, to adapt it yourself. Mm. So I thought, well, I'll just go ahead and do it um, because then at least I can say, look, here it is. What do you think? Can we work together? I mean, I, I wasn't really trying to, you know, be all you know, crazy possessive. It's more that I was wanting to say, look, will this work? You know, I wanted to be honest about it. Um, And it worked out very well in that once I agreed to start working with Lenny Abramson, he and I turned out to have very similar ideas about how to proceed in that neither of us saw a need to completely change the plot or to make it a much more traditional three-act structure or escape from the room in the first half. Um, So we both knew that you would have to do a lot to sort of translate the, um, the techniques of the book into film. But we were thinking along the same lines, you know, that you do it very much through showing the boy's view of the world through his interactions, his play, his dialogue with his mother. Um, We didn't want to use big wadges of voiceover. We only added that very late and very sparingly. And um, neither of us felt that the audience needed to be, you know, spoon-fed by being shown the kidnapping or anything. So it proceeds chronologically, which is very unusual. And actually, we filmed it in sequence as well, which is really odd. Yeah, that made it way easier for the child actor. He was only seven, Jacob. And so... For him to understand the enormous changes that his character was going through in a couple of weeks, it would really help to film it in sequence. Um, and all the adult actors loved that as well. I remember Joan Allen saying to me, I wish we could make all films this way because you know what you're doing in each scene. Mm. Usually they have to act in pieces. When you finally got to meet, um, well, maybe in, on the set, uh, uh, Jake and uh, Ma, what did you think? I mean, was, was it? A, did, you have, did you have to adapt it to a certain extent because these characters that have been in your head for so long are, are, are physical? Yes, but at that point I had seen each of them on film and I'd seen audition tapes and so on. So again, there's less of a shock if the writer and screenwriter is involved in the in the process of casting. You know, I'd seen all Bree's films at that point. And um, what I didn't expect was that she would be so nice and down to earth. I mean, my first encounter with her was I was failing to pour myself a coffee in the food van. And suddenly there's this girl in Ugg boots who's sorting it out and getting my milk out. And I'm thinking, oh my God, it's Bree Larson. <laughs> you know? So she was the opposite of a princess, you know, so down to earth and so unpretentious. And what was it like being in in room? Um, As soon as I stepped in, I thought, this is hideously ugly and it's so small. How could you possibly live here for 10 minutes, let alone seven years? I thought, there's a fundamental plausibility flaw in what I've written. But, you know, they made it plausible. You know, how they filmed it is very interesting because at times it feels really small and at times it feels really big. So it feels like you're almost inside a child's head. Um, we haven't talked about the sort of the, the, the second part. I mean, again, I don't want to spoil it for too, too many people seeing the film, but she she has to reevaluate herself as a mother. She's 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 completely solid in her beliefs and the the relationship with the two. But when they come out, things like um, her father and and the media, they they really put pressure on her and, and really challenge more so than she, she had within room. Well, the funny thing about parenting is that actually, if you if you do it all the time and nothing else, it's probably easier. What's really hard is to multitask. So the moments I'm ashamed of as a parent are where I'm trying to help my son with his homework, but then suddenly I'm doing a phone interview, you know, and or you're you're out with them in a cafe and you're just, oh, just check my email quickly, you know. So all those multitasking moments are where our parenting tends to kind of fray mm. or when we're trying to catch up with friends and our wretched children insist on not only sitting in our laps, but blocking our view of our friend, you know. Kids are very possessive of your energy. So 
So it actually struck me as an interesting kind of irony that, you know, parenting in a locked room sounds hard, but what would be really hard is when she has to try and parent out in the real world. So it's not just that she's gone through a lot of trauma and has to recover, but parenting itself is, is it's sort of a all-consuming passion on both sides that's really hard to combine with other things, with jobs, with catching buses on time, with other people. Has this inspired you to to want to adapt more of your, your books or even write an original screenplay? Those two, and also to adapt other people's work, because I've got very interested in the adaptation process and how you can try and kind of capture the magic in a book rather than just literally being faithful, because a literally mm. faithful adaptation doesn't always work. Sometimes the spark has been lost. I think, I think maybe there's... What's fortuitous as well um, about many of the situations for, for the film is the fact that you met Lenny at a time when he had quite a lot of experience under his belt and quite a lot of diversity as well. So, you know, this film is is wonderful and, and maybe that does benefit from experience. Absolutely. Um, I, I don't think uh, a first-time director would have been as confident. I mean, it's a funny thing about directors. Sometimes they get more daring as they go along because actually they're freer, you know, and, and film companies are more likely to trust them with their money even if they're doing something, you know, unconventional. So it helped that Lenny had such a, a varied track record and he'd worked in different countries and in different settings. It also really helped that he was a dad and a really mm. passionate, involved dad of two small children. I mean, we really bonded as parents. Um, and I think he just, he brought every skill he had to this. And even though he's very much from the European art house tradition, he's also made ads. So, you know, he has a real variety of tools in his toolbox. And I think he just approached this without any preconceptions about, about what it should be. He just, at every point, was looking for the technique that would make us feel the strongest. Do you ever still think about Mar and Jack? I do, but I'm always convinced that there should never be a sequel because what I hope for them is that they're living such ordinary, blissfully ordinary lives. You know, I hope they're like arguing over his maths homework at this very moment (laughs) because I want them to escape from being special. You know, (laughs) I hate the idea that their life would still be strange enough that would need to be written about. He needs to play with something real. I'm worried about him being on the phone. He's doing fine. Well... I don't give him my phone, so I'd appreciate it if you didn't give him yours. Okay, well, great. I just want him to connect with something. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. 
Joy. Joy. He's really doing fine. Travelling now across the corridor to another room, I got time with the director, Lenny Abrahamson. To you, is this a film about love or is it a film about hate? It's definitely a film about love. I mean, it's a love story. It's a, you know, and it's amazing. I think probably what, one of the things that struck me so much about the book was that you expect when you hear the premise mm. that it's going to be a bleak story about a captive and a captor or about a, it's a it's a crime story or a captivity story, but it's not. It's because Emma chose to tell it from the point of view of the little boy. It's a, mm. uh, it's, it's sort of, an, a, a, you know, the capacity of, people to survive in really difficult situations and to recover from them. It's about the the resilience of childhood. It's about the parent, particularly about the love between parent and child and, and about parenting. You know, there's so few honest accounts of what it's like to be a parent mm. in the world. I mean, in, in, in the, in literature and in film and, and the, and it's, and the strange mixture of claustrophobia and elation and, and and wonderfulness and deep self-doubt and frustration that attend to being a parent. And Emma, by choosing this really extraordinary situation and putting a, you know, looking at it, at the parent-child relationship in its most naked form, you know, where there's nobody else to support, there's nowhere else to go, there's nothing else to do. It's just a mother and a son in a room. That she, she just, it, it, it means that what comes out of that is so vivid. Yeah, and I think it's also a kind of uh, it's a it's a love poem to a child, and and to to I felt that when I read it, I my own little boy was nearly four, and uh, so so I could I could see him so much of him and Jack, and I just was kind of amazed by what the novel manages to do with the, with the, with these very unlikely materials. I was going to say it's, it's it seems like a an odd step from Frank. To, to this film but then again Frank's all about this person who lives inside his head I mean that's a captivity of a different sort and and, and frankly uh, excuse the pun anything would be an odd step after Frank I mean Frank is so unbelievably odd I don't I don't know what I could have done afterwards that would have felt like it was in keeping with it um, but it's true it, I mean you know for, this is like the inside of of that we're inside the box yeah. in, or inside the head in room um, it's the outside that's hidden you know so so yes there is there is, and I think both stories are about about people. I don't know who have to, who. And, and this is actually true of pretty much everything that I've done mm. about people whose circumstances change. And um, gar- garage and garage somebody who who has a very small kind of niche in the world has that taken away. And what Richard did. I mean, Adam Paul's a little different, but in what Richard did, you've got somebody who thinks of himself very definitely in one way, and then that comes crashing down and he's really got to face something very different and darker. And in Frank, it's, it's Frank is given sort of what he thinks he wants and John is given what he thinks he wants and, and, and it proves to be very different. And in room you look at in both cases, particularly Jack's case, you've got a, a kid who has a, you've got an ex, an extremely intensified version of what happens to all children when they leave the, the kind of, the clo- the smaller spaces of childhood. With um, I was speaking to Emma, and she mentioned one of the nice things, which is very apparent in the film, is the fact that the room can, through, through maybe through cinematography, seem very small and very big mm-hmm. at once. Was that something you worked hard hard for? Yes, it, it was. I mean, we our determination, great cinematographer and Danny Cohen, and British cinematographer and and Ethan Tobin, great designer, 
and Nathan Nugent who's a really great editor. And between all of us, we talked a lot about about being able to slip between between the world of Jack and the world of Ma. Mm-hmm. And those are two overlapping and interconnected worlds, but they're quite distinct in a way. And but they both take place in this small space. And how do you how do you distinguish them without using any sort of silly devices or too obvious, you know, point of view techniques. And, mm. and I think what we found was that it's, it's, you can modulate the sense of, of scale in a funny way by being closer and tighter, you forget about the backgrounds and you forget about this because actually a, a shot on a long lens of a face doesn't look that different in a football stadium or a small room. I mean, it's, mm. uh, and we found that by working in that way, you were able to, to have the background sort of glide away and then and then if you wanted to bring people back to the constraint of it to the mother's world by shooting wider mm. and, and and seeing more than one corner and 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 so we were able to modulate that sense of of scale and and it's it's what's so fascinating to me is that I think people watching the film have the same experience as you might remember from you know if you ever got to go back to your old elementary school or your old your old house and you go god you know that place seems huge in my memory and now it's it's just this small ordinary place and and when you go to room at the end of the film it's the same the dimensions are exactly the same and yet it feels like how could i possibly have had as as kind of three-dimensional an experience in there as i did at the beginning of the film i don't know what's wrong with me supposed to be happy. You just need to rest, okay? No, I don't. I don't need that, to rest. That's what the doctor That is said. not what the doctor said. You don't know what he said because it was a confidential conversation and you don't know what he said. All right, all right. All right. I feel like you're impossible to talk to right now. Well, sorry. Well, no, no, you're not sorry. Yeah, I'm not sorry. You have no idea what's going on in my head. Yeah, well, try me. I have asked you. And then what? Then every time you look at me, that's all that you see? When I look at you, Joy... I will see my daughter. It's very much a fairy tale as well. I think you've, you've mentioned this many times before. I mean, the the villain, at least for the first part, is old Nick, who mm-hmm. you could see as, a, as an ogre or, a, yeah. a, you know, a, a, a monster. Though obviously once we go out into the world, the, the idea of the monster becomes much more complicated. Yes. In, in a way, the room phase is one where the kind of moral order of the world is way clearer. I mean, the enemy is clear. The task is clear. We must escape from this place. Jack has to learn, has to let go of his childish conceptions, the, 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 the myth of room that his mother's created for him to keep mm-hmm. him safe. But there is, no, there is no opacity to that. You go into the second half where you, you're expecting just a straight up redemption because that's what, as an audience, you, you begin to fantasize in a similar way to the way Ma fantasizes. You think, yes, just get out, get out, get out then whatever, okay, it'll just be, you know, somehow it'll just be fine. But then they go out and, and it's, there are no footholds. There is no up or down or left or right in this world anymore. There's just, there's just the impossibility of picking up pieces of a life that you left behind seven years ago, having gone through this tough and, and dreadful experience, if you're the mother. And so while you fear for them desperately in room, what you never fear for is their relationship. I mean, you, you fear for them, for their safety, but you don't believe that there's a threat to what, in an internal, there's no internal threat. Mm. And suddenly now there's no external threat on the outside. 
but there's a deep internal threat, which is that the mother, she's no longer stiffened by the demands of, of keeping her boy safe. And she can't suppress the, the, the memories of the things that have happened to her or the bitterness at having had so much of her life stolen from her. And so here you are in a, in, a, in a world where the one thing that we feel is constant through the first half, which is their relationship, is the thing that's now wobbling. And, and it's those, those balances and patterns and shifts that I think are so interesting. Can we talk about um, um, Brie and Jacob, the, yeah, sure. the, the, two, the two main actors? We, we can't not talk about them yeah. because... Because uh, they're very good. They're incredible. <laughs> well, I was... I mean, yeah, I'm so lucky with all the cast in the film. And, and actually the film for me as a whole is characterized by lots of great relationships with Ed Gunney, the producer, with Emma Donoghue, uh, the author of the book and, and, and of the screenplay who I worked so closely and, and, and so happily with. But then Jake and Brie. And Brie, I saw in Short Term 12, and she absolutely blew me away. I met her, and she was so bright, so charming, so warm. And I knew, A, she's amazing as an actor, but she's also going to, any kid is going to love her. Mm-hmm. So that was, a. I mean, I, went, I had her, and that was amazing. But then the huge fear, the thing that kept me awake at night is, will we find, is there, never, never mind will we find him, is there a boy out there who's capable of doing what this film needs, which is putting in, uh, you know, a two-hour-long, fully specced, all the trimmings, dramatic performance, and and he's got to be plausibly five, and then I, and then we found Jake, and Jake is this kind of prodigy. I mean, it, bringing that performance, collaborating with him to 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 do that was definitely the most challenging thing I've ever done as a filmmaker. But had he not been hugely talented, it would have been utterly impossible. Yeah, that the the I think you know I think probably for me anyway, and I, I sort of say this because you know maybe it, because I think he deserves the the credit. Like I don't think there's a better child performance anywhere. I've never seen a better child performance than this, and I think we push to the limit what it is possible for a director and a young actor to achieve at that age. You know, I don't think I don't I don't think you could have chosen a more demanding thing to try and do with a kid and the fact that it worked out is a huge credit to him and something I'm incredibly proud of um, at the end of the film no no the film's not real and I know it's not a fairy tale but I was, I was happy to leave it I mean were you happy that when room when the room was destroyed yes I was um, you know what room is, is it was packed away right I mean uh, yes in in, in 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 one sense but in the other it wasn't because it was packed away and they've since rebuilt it in in a shopping mall in LA where where selective audiences can tour this the room and an exhibition about the film i thought this was going to be the cheesiest thing of all time and i saw it and it's amazing it's absolutely amazing you know there are so few films where one small space is somewhere you become completely intimately acquainted with and then standing in it i mean even I, who'd been there, I'd been away from it for long enough and I'd been living with, with it as represented in the film for long enough that stepping back into it blew my mind. And I saw the effect on journalists and audiences and it's, people were absolutely... It's such an extraordinary step, stereoscopic kind of experience. So room still exists at the moment, beside a shoe shop on one side and a hi-fi store on the other. Well, that's waste. We'll get you new ones. For Sunday treat? There will be so many treats, and not just on Sunday. Mo, where's the bath? 
There's a shower. It's splashier. Jack, come here. That's us. Ma, will he find us? No. He will never find us. It really is an incredible, moving two-hour cinema journey, which, as Lenny and Emma helped explain, goes beyond the four walls of its initial setting. It's a must-see film, and if you missed it, do try and catch it when you have the chance. I'm Ben Eshmade. Thanks for listening to this archive edition of Nothing Concrete, the Barbican podcast, here to inspire more people to discover and love the arts with weekly episodes of archive finds and theme series. Subscribe to Nothing Concrete on ACAST, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Or wherever you find your podcasts. And if you can, leave us a review to help us get the word out. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.